he proposed an eleven million dollar. 20% on refinancing. I almost fell off my chair. I was like, I can't believe this. I, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, it was listed at 12.7 million. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guests, I want to mention FundNet Flip because FundNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and uh, we've got a multifamily real estate investing episode headed your way. With us today, we have not one, but two Best Ever guests. We've done this a couple times before, and we're doing it again because they're partners in crime, and uh, they wanted to be on the show together uh, because they've got a lot going on. And uh, excited to have them both here. So first, before I start continuing to talk to them or talk about them while they're on the air and not introduce them, let me introduce them. First, we got Gino Barbero and Jake Stenziano. How you two doing? Doing great. Nice to have you both on the show and a little bit about them. And then I'll let them get into their background in more detail. They've got a company and it's called Appropriately. Jake and Gino, LLC. In addition to that, they've got a, a property management company called RAND, R-A-N-D, Property Management. And you can find both of those at jakeandgino.com and randpropertymanagement.com. Here's why we should listen to them. In three years, they have built a portfolio of $25 million worth of properties, all multifamily apartment communities, and Jake is currently based in Knoxville, Tennessee, where he has transitioned from New York to Tennessee, um, very similar to the migration I've made from New York City to Cincinnati. So love to hear more about your transition there. And Gino is uh, in New York, about an hour north of New York City, uh, where I used to live for 10 years. So have some, some commonalities there. And he is also focused on really uh, he's in the restaurant industry now and and he's about to transition out of that and do real estate full-time. They're both about to be full-time real estate investors. They also have a book titled Wheelbarrow Profits, How to Create Passive Income, Build Wealth, and Take Control of Your Destiny Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing. 
So with that being said, you two want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Absolutely. Uh, so this is Jake here, and we will be your best ever duo for uh, for this podcast. <laughs> and we're going to make it happen today. So so yeah, uh, this is Jake. And I went from in 2012, uh, working in corporate America, working for GlaxoSmithKline in the vaccine division, and had at that point gone through eight layoffs. The company went through eight layoffs, massive downsizing. And I'm sitting here, my wife and I are living in a, in a one bedroom apartment and just trying to figure things out because I could tell that eventually the ax was coming for me. So kind of got freaked out, was listening to the advice that a lot of the doctors that I networked with were giving me. And they were saying, look, the way to create wealth is not by having a job. It's not by being a W-2 earner. It's in real estate. So, you know, naturally I listened to them, but I thought, okay, well, how, how the heck do I do this? Right. I have no, you know, no real estate background. No one in my family invests. I'm trying to figure this out because eventually I'm going to be, you know, without a job and trying to figure things out big time. So I thought, okay, first steps, I'm out of New York. The cost of living is ridiculous. I'm getting out of here. So I pushed for a transfer within the company, landed a transfer in Knoxville, Tennessee, where there's no state income tax and the property tax is extremely low. And I was able to get that. Gino, uh, I was actually extremely good friends and still I'm with his brother, Marco. He did all my catering within the uh, vaccine company for me to the different doctor's offices and whatnot. And the week before I left for Tennessee, I went into the restaurant like I normally did on Fridays, sat down, was having lunch, was telling uh, Marco a little bit, you know, I want to get into real estate when I get down to Tennessee. And he said, well, you know, my brother and I invest and you really got to speak to my brother because he has been investing for a while and he knows all about it. So Gino came down started talking about what I was looking at. I told him I had interest in multifamily because I started doing some research, wasn't too sure. And Gino just blew my mind. He, we started actually on the spot looking at different properties in Knoxville because they're very affordable. It's an up and coming area, uh, especially uh, there's a lot of multifamily opportunity there. And from that point on, Gino just became my mentor. And I moved down to Knoxville. It took us a couple of years to get into our first deal. I had a bunch of people telling us we were crazy. They didn't like creative financing. They didn't like owner financing. Uh, but then we got our first deal and uh, it's 25 unit mom and pop crack den, to say the least. We evicted a lot of drug addicts out of that place. But uh, from there, we grew it in three years to over 500 units. And uh, and I was able to quit my corporate job and uh, I'm loving life. It was a 25 unit crack. You said 25 units? 25 unit crack den. Cash yeah, paying. Yeah, no one wanted it. It was the only thing we could get because we had zero credibility. Brokers were, you know, really giving us a hard time because we didn't have any units. You know, they're saying we're trying to put in owner financing offers and they're just uh, it was tough sledding in the beginning because we, we were not in the game. So all the stuff that we we're trying to do to make uh, make things more affordable for us, they were rejecting it. Uh, finally, we got this one broker who said, you know, I got some pretty motivated sellers. It was a mom and pop group. <laughs> And literally, this, this, these, these people were paying cash in their weekly rentals at the time. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, can I see a P&L or something? And they, they said, well, we have uh, this kind of mixed in with some of our other properties. We don't really keep those kind of records. So I, I was like, well, Gina, how do we know if these people are really you know, paying or, or what the rent is? Uh, so my uncle actually gave me some advice to go door knocking. So I literally, before we closed on the thing, I went door knocking, door to door, saying, can you please tell me what your rent is? We're looking at this property. And, and the people were actually extremely nice and honest, but I just was freaked out because we never did a deal before like this. Hmm. So, uh, Gino, and I'd like to get back to that example, but really quickly, Gino, can you give your, your background in about a minute or so? Yeah, sure. I'll give you two and 30 seconds. I was uh, started a restaurant 
1994, 20 years. The first 15 years are great. 2008 comes along, the cliff falls. All of a sudden, we're not making money there. Or we're making money, but it's a living. And I'm like, I need to create wealth. I need to do something. I've got six kids, ages 16 to one. Um, I don't know if I'm having more. If, if I do, that'd be great. If I don't, still great. Um, but I said, I have to provide for my family. I just want to create wealth and just generate that passive income, live a great lifestyle. I wasn't doing it here in New York. So I met Jake. We went down there. I have some property up here in New York, but, you know, you lived in New York. It's difficult in New York with the property taxes and, you know, the cost of living up here. I just said it's not going to work for me. So, uh, you know, I just thank God that I hooked up with Jake. I found a partner who is just, you know, he's a great partner. He can hear by his voice. He's totally motivated. He totally knows what he's doing. He, he gets the job done. And I said, this is going to be great. It's going to be great synergy. So I was blessed to find him. And, you know, the rest is history. So from a from a very high level. Just you know, a, a couple bullet points on either side. What do you do, Jake, and what do you do, Gino? Top one or two responsibilities. Yeah. So, so basically, it's we we have a holding company, and it, all the managerial, the top level managerial responsibilities are divided up, right? When we when we make big decisions, what we're going to buy, et cetera. I handle the day to day operations on the ground here uh, in Knoxville. I love looking at the numbers. I'll tell them what's going on with the expenses, income. I'm always looking for future deals. And I'm what you call a content creator. I'm a content junkie. I love writing stuff about real estate. And I love talking to people about real estate. And I love to make connections with brokers. So that's one of my main responsibilities. Okay. And uh, so, so Gino, you find the next deal and then also expand the relationships through the content that's created through your company, as well as oversee kind of the asset management. And Jake, you're more of the, the, the property management on the ground. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. What's important to, for your listeners, your best ever listeners to understand, I think is real estate is you want to be more of an asset manager than a landlord. A lot of us, including me and Jake, when we first started, we we're landlording, you know, going door to door and, you know, to get out of that mind mindset and to, you know, get a new paradigm shift. It's difficult for a lot of people listening, but everyone listening can do it. And me and Jake saw that. And that's what we transitioned to, uh, you know, from that mom and pop, you know, landlord into an asset manager. So, Jake, do you have a property management company or are you the property manager? No, we have we have about nine W two employees now, and we um, and it's just an internal. We, we're self management company, and we have uh, you know thirty different contractors that we work with. So and you know Gino's a part of that too, and it, all the all the jobs depending. You know he might pick something up one day, I might do it the next. It just depends. It's it's we you know we have a million ways to divide it up. So got it. Okay, so now let's go to the the twenty five unit. How much did you pay for it and what did you get those owner financing terms that you're looking for? Yeah, so we paid 600,000 for it and uh it was actually 10% owner finance. They financed 10% of the down payment. So those were the terms, 600,000, 10% owner financed and a really cool little side note is we're actually refining the property this Friday and we just got an $800,000 uh, valuation on and we're actually able to pull out 200 this week on it so we're pretty pumped that little our first little baby finally came home for us so pretty pumped yeah congrats on that and and would love to know how you got to that point with this property specifically so um you paid 600,000 for it 10% was owner financed yep. the rest of the money what what type of money did you two have to bring to the table to get the loan on it and what type of loan was it yeah, so it was a uh, a community bank loan, uh, pretty unfavorable terms from compared to what we're getting now. I think it was a twenty year AM, 
and a 6% rate, 20-year AM 6% rate, 20% down. And uh, the way we were able to get it is that the current bank that they were using, we went in, had, I had presented a nice uh, business plan to them and uh, just told, talked about what we wanted to do in terms of you know, getting new tenants in there, repositioning the property, and uh, turn it into a professionally run uh, apartment complex versus you know, the drug-infested place where the mail lady was afraid to deliver. So. So you had a business plan, you had, a, and that was a plan to reposition the property, both from a culture standpoint and then from just like the the type of resident who's there. Yes. How much did you put into the property? You know, the great thing about multifamily is that I can't even give you an answer to that right now because we've never really put any money into it other than our down payment, and it's just come out of the cash flow every month. So I can't give you uh, per se a dollar amount, but you know, it's it's been uh, you know, what do you think? You know, twenty grand since we took over. Yeah, around that, around that number. Yeah. Wow. How are you able to have a crack den that's a 25 unit, as you described, that sounded like it's just a, a kind of a, a very uh, distressed situation and not put any money into it and turn it around? Joe, the, the, the big thing was the deferred maintenance wasn't huge. You know, we're still doing it right now. The siding, a little bit of, you know, mailboxes, um, you know, the roofs were still okay. So a lot of the deferred maintenance wasn't that kind of maintenance where you're going to go in and wow, you're going to have to rip everything out and redo it. And, you know, we work with our, we work with our employees. So a lot of the stuff we're doing ourselves. So we're saving money that way. Uh, a lot of the expenses were out of control. That's, that's one of the big things that we really cut. I mean, paying cable, a lot of, a lot of silly things like that. Yeah. The garbage. I mean, there was a really high number that these guys, you know, they had storage units that were filled with crap. We took, we, we, we emptied them out and we, we started renting them out. I mean, just revenue started coming in from places that they didn't even, that they weren't even exploring at the time. So, and they weren't doing background checks. So it was anyone off the street, you had cash, you were getting in the door. So we started, you know, obviously now that you have to do a background check, all the all the things that go into professionally renting a unit to someone and making sure the units were turned clean properly, if the floors needed to be done, if we painted, all those little things that they weren't doing before, it was basically as is renting and it was, uh, you know, no, no tenant uh, background checks. So there was a lot of evictions initially and it was hard to kind of to balance that by maintaining revenue while turning over the people as well. The first six months were very challenging. There's no doubt. This was not a walk in the park. Uh, so I don't want to lead people to believe that we work for every bit of it. But uh, those were the things that went into turning it around. And, and Joe, the other thing, um, when we first got the loan, I mean, you're ever, you know, best ever listeners might be out there saying, wow, what a crappy loan. And, you know, now that we look at it, it was probably a mistake to get those those terms, a 20 year, a high interest rate. But I look at that mistake as one of the best mistakes ever made, because if I didn't make that mistake and get that loan and get that first property, I wouldn't have 500 units now. So you can look at it in a couple different ways. I mean, now that I look at it, I would never go for those terms. But when you're desperate and you want to get into the game, that's what we had to do to get in the game. We had to, you know, get that high rate. And now that we're refining it and pulling out money, the rate and the payment is going to be the same as what we have on the loan now currently, which is just, I mean, amazing to me. But that's what happens when you make mistakes and you just pull forward. Those mistakes turn into opportunities. Yeah, we're going we're going to 4.19 on a 25-year AM for now uh, with a different uh, community lender, actually. When you started, let's talk about those, the first six months. When you started the the repositioning what type of economic occupancy, if you remember, I know it's been a year or two um, or three, but what type of economic occupancy were you at initially and where are you at right now? Gross income per month. I think, I think in the beginning, because we had a lot of turnover, it might have been you know, 11, 11.5 per month 
Um, and again, it was, it was funny because I remember the first time I collected down there, it was, it was a weekly thing. I was doing it myself. I had a, a stack of cash on my dresser when I got home because no one paid with, you know, checks or anything. So we've, we've transitioned that over to checks now. And I think we're doing about 156, 160 a year on it. And it's, um, I think we're looking at somewhere like that comes out to like 13,000, maybe a little more per month. But Joe, the funny thing is when I remember the first month that Jake went out and started collecting rent, it was like I heard the entrepreneurial voice. I know he'd never had anybody pay him. And all of a sudden he's a business owner and he's like this, this like little kid in a candy store. He's like, I got all this money. I'm like, that was like the turning point. I think for Jake. That's when, <laughs> I think that's when Jake got hooked. He's like, wow, this real estate thing is really good. I'm like, yeah, they're paying you and you get all these, uh, all these fr- fringe benefits that you're going to be finding out in, in the future. With the property, that first one, and then I, then I want to talk about how you scaled from there. But um, with this first one, did you have a team, or Jake? You mentioned you're the one collecting the rent. Did you yeah. manage and oversee it initially? Yeah, I, it was called the I'm a team. I'm gonna do this. <laughs> I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do everything. And that was totally the wrong mentality. And uh, that's one thing that we've worked on so hard over the last three years is, is the scalability of the business, putting systems in place and really building out, you know, the business and when working on the business versus then in it, you know, taking a big step back from the beginning. But one of my my goals was to learn the business from the ground up and so that I wasn't going to be taken advantage of. And I knew the business in and out. So so in the beginning, I wanted to do everything because I wanted to know and have the hands on experience. But I've definitely since then pulled myself out. And we have a lot of great people in place uh, currently that uh, allows us to work more on our systems than, than in it. All right. So now now let's let's quickly transition to the, you know, the rest of your portfolio. I mean, that one you said is worth 800. Um, so there's a lot of dollars, a lot of zeros that have to be accounted for in our short conversation, short amount of time we have here. So how did you go from 25? Well, let's start with this. What is your breakdown of your portfolio? You've got a 25 unit. What else do you have? Sure. Sure. We have a 25 unit, a 36 unit, 136 unit, uh, 24 unit, uh, 281 units. And uh, we just, this one, we're really looking for stuff at this point, 150 units or more, but this one fell into our lap uh, a little while ago. It was a 16 unit. And uh, it's just, we got it, I think for 37 per door. And it's the things in that area are trading from more, you know, 50 to 60. So we just couldn't say no to it. From the 25 units, how'd you get to the next property, next apartment community? Yeah, it was the same broker that we were currently dealing with. Actually, a different broker listed it, but we actually used the same broker on that one. It was just uh, it was on the the local uh, Carsey website. It's like a loop net that we have uh, in Knoxville, and uh, it was a uh, another mom and pop owner. Uh, they got hit hard from uh, some different construction that was going on. A bridge closed, and their, their occup- occupancy went way down. So they were they were having some hard times, and uh, we were able to come in and provide a solution for those folks, take them out of that. Uh, it, was, it was a tough deal, but we got it done because there was other people bidding on it. And then from there is when we actually brought in um, our, our partner for the next deal, which was 136 units. It was a pocket listing. Uh, they had it on the market for a long time at $6.5 bucks. Uh, we were able to come in and buy it for $4,075,000 at the time. Um, so we, uh, we really, we repositioned that one and, um, that one's probably, you know, worth about 7 million bucks at this point. We took it from doing about 56,000 a month to 85,000 a month currently, um, on average, which is fantastic. It was great, great, uh, location next to uh, a manufacturing facility with 4,000 employees. And then, uh, we picked up another little guy and then, uh, we actually just got into 281 units. And this may sound a little hard to believe, but the 281 units we just got into, 
uh, we actually got a 20% owner finance for the down payment. So we really had no money into that deal. So we got, uh, you know, we've, we've definitely gotten lucky with some stuff uh, and has allowed us not to, you know, bring in a ton of outside uh, investors, uh, which is great. But uh, and then we just bought the little guy that I told you about there uh, a week or two ago. With the 281 unit, how did you get in with the owner financing? Can you give us some more details? Well, yeah, it was really interesting because I wasn't too sure about the location in the beginning and it sat on the market for about a year. And it was actually the broker that we've been dealing with from the beginning. He had the listing himself and he just, uh, we actually went out looking, I was looking for a pickup truck at the time. And so it was, it was a snowy day in Tennessee, which doesn't happen very often. He was driving me around. We were kind of just hanging out and he's like, I got to show you these units. So I said, okay, fine. So we went up, looked at them and they were amazing. I was, I was so shocked. And he, so he kind of got me hooked from that point. And we were, we were talking back and forth and he said, just, just to let you know, there was another guy that almost bought these and they're considering owner financing the down payment. And that's when I got really, really interested and really excited. And then from that point, we, uh, we just negotiated back and forth, looking at that from an owner finance standpoint uh, for the down payment. Struggled. We brought two different banks. Uh, we got two different bank loans, um, actually from uh, community banks to, to finance it. Uh, really got put through the ringer um, to get those loans because, you know, most banks don't want to do that, right? They want you to have some skin in the game. So uh, it was a very challenging process, but we were able to get it done and uh, it more than doubled the size of our portfolio. But Joe, the important thing on the deal was that we had already had credibility. This is in our niche. We like these mom and pops. We like these repositioning deals where there's not a lot of deferred maintenance going into them, but there's a lot of value. We can create a lot of value. The, the property was netting, it was grossing $140,000 a month in, in, in revenue. The first month we took over, we did 170000 I mean, that's the first month we took over. So, I mean, we knew there was a ton of value in this property that was totally underperforming. The banks knew us. They knew we had the credibility. And um, they knew that if we're going to default on it, they're, they're going to take it over. They're gonna, they know that the current owner is just going to take the property over. So they're not going to – the banks aren't going to have to take it over. So a lot of stuff went into play. We have that great relationship with the banks, which allowed us to do this deal. What was the motivation for the seller? He was old. I mean, he, he was, it was a family run business, which is another great thing. Another motivation. I guess he was getting sick and tired of his, of his family, whether they're taking money or whether they're not doing the job. You know, he had it for a long time. He built a lot of, he built most of his portfolio himself. So I think he just wanted to retire, go buy his Porsche and just live life. Great. And it was just right time, right place for us. And he actually was the one who proposed it to us. He proposed an $11 million 20% on refinancing. I almost fell off my chair. I was like, I can't believe this. I, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, it was listed at 12.7 million. And the great thing about these types of properties that we're talking about is they're not really good for institutions because institutions don't want to deal with this for the smaller in the in, investor. It's a little bit difficult. So there's less competition in these deals when you're going for duplexes and triplexes. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of people in that market. But when you're going into the higher, you know, 50, 60, 70 units, that's what me and Jake like to call the sweet spot. That's where you can really make your money on these deals. The mom and pops, we love them. The mom and pop owners that have the larger complexes, it's just great. A lot of opportunities. Are all of your properties based in or located in Knoxville? Yeah, the Knoxville MSA, yeah. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? I would have to say, it's, it might be a little cliche, but I would say don't quit. Because when we first started, I was, like I said before, we were getting brokers telling me, you know, and then the little Knoxville uh, accent, y'all are crazy. That's what they kept telling me. Y'all are crazy. These creative financing deals don't work. Creative fin or owner financing doesn't happen. And uh, we got really, uh, you know, d just 
depressed it in a way because we tried for almost two years, it seemed like. And uh, finally, we gave up. I went and bought a house. I took my seed money and, and my wife was pushing me. So we went and bought a house. So basically used up all that money. And then when the when the 25 unit crack then came along, I had to pull the money out of my 401k. I did a, a loan to myself. So, you know, if we would have quit and said, okay, this is just, this stuff is pie in the sky. Because that's what a lot of people think. This multifamily investment is pie in the sky. I can't do it. It's not real. You know, these people must have had a ton of money to get into it. That's not our story. And that's not, not, not what happened to us. So if you stick with it, you educate yourself and you just don't give up. That was the smartest thing we ever did was just not quit. Uh, I don't think multifamily investing is rocket science. We're not, Gina and I aren't like, you know, brilliant guys, but in three years we built up a portfolio valued at 25 million bucks. So, you know, it, it, it can be done and it is real. Joe, I would say that the, my best advice would be to buy right. If you're going to get into a market, you have to know that market explicitly. You know what have to know what expenses are. You have to know what they're renting per door. You have to know everything about that market. And you have to be willing to let a deal slide if you're not buying on actual numbers. You have to buy on actual numbers, not this pro forma rosy stuff that they want to show you. If you're buying it right, that's when you're going to make your money. Everyone in real estate who's in business knows that is one of the most important things you have to do to really create value and create wealth. When you first get presented an opportunity, how do you run the numbers? Well, we have uh, we actually created uh, our own software. Uh, we got a, a, a really great web partner, and uh, he, he created the software for us. We call it our deal analyzer. And what we really look for is we know what our expenses are going to be. Okay, we don't. You know, I probably shouldn't be saying this in case anyone listening we're going to buy something from them. But we know what our expenses are going to be, and then we want to see tax returns. We want to see um, you know some some bank statements so we know what's actually going to the bank account every month. And then basically, as long as we can get the income numbers and we want to see sort of what their insurance is, what their taxes are, we can really come up with a crystal clear picture on where that property is currently at. We use rentometer.com to analyze potential rent in the market, right? So if it's a, if it's a submarket that we have not been in yet, we'll use rentometer to gauge what we can get for that unit. So we'll, we'll run an actual and base our offer as to where the current actuals are. And then we know, okay, six months, this is where we expect to be. 10% cash on cash return. We look for actual, we look for at around an eight cap. And I like to look for a debt service coverage ratio of at least 1.3. I know banks like one, two, but I, I like for one, three. I mean, for those of guys who are real, you know, numbers, numbers guys, that's what I like to look for. With the expenses, Jake, you mentioned, you know what your expenses will be. Do you use a percentage? Do you Price per unit is typically what I do because we we know we know what our numbers are right we know what it costs for us to run a two bedroom we know what it costs for us to run a one bedroom so we'll we'll put we'll take that in consideration to come up with our number based on what their tax because the taxes could change right the insurance might be slightly different and and if there's anything odd you know they may if they're not if you know currently they're paying for a utility that normally we don't right. And then, and then when we take over, we actually have a three-step repositioning framework. So in these mom and pops, what we'll do is we'll go in from day one and we'll fill the vacant units at market rates. So if there's a vacant unit, we go in, we put our two-tone paint scheme in there. We do like light fixture upgrades, those little things to make it look sweet. Go in there, we'll fill the vacant units at market. Step two, we implement rubs. I'm sure you're familiar with the ratio utility billing system. We're going to start billing those folks back for water. We see about 35 bucks a month on average that is coming back to us. And then towards the end of that year, we'll start to go back through and raise the remaining uh, renters to market rate. So by following those three steps, we've had great success. And that's how we've really catapulted our, our gross income numbers uh, in, the, in the examples that uh, Gino and I uh, had given earlier. And Joe, for your best ever listeners, I think the real question is you should figure expenses on these multifamilies around 50% of income. 
you know, you can go per door. Banks like to say they're around $3,600 per unit to run. We can get as low as 3000 per unit. So that's where we, you know, every market is typically a little bit different. But I know the banks down in Knoxville, Tennessee, they like to throw out $3,600 per unit as, as running these properties or fifty around 50% of income. You answered the question I was about to ask for the per unit price. Uh, so around 3000 to 3600 Okay, perfect. All right, you two ready for the best ever lightning round? Bring it. Shoot. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, join me in subscribing to the Family Office Podcast. The host, Richard Wilson, you can learn more about him, episode 447. The reason why you'll want to subscribe and listen to this podcast is he talks about how billionaire families think and how to attract the ultra wealthy into your business. The Family Office Podcast. All right. Best ever book you've read? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Uh, I attended coaching school, IPEC, got my degree, limiting beliefs, don't have them. Best ever deal you've done? $11 million owner financing, no money down. Best ever way you like to give back? Go down to the community of Friars of the Renewal, a bunch of monks live down in Harlem, love to go cook for them in their soup kitchen, Thanksgiving, barbecues, all that stuff. What's the biggest mistake each of you have made in real estate investing? Biggest mistake for me, uh, Gino, is buying a property, not knowing the market, and taking a bath. I still currently own the property. It's killing me every day trying to sell it, but that's just the way life is. That mistake, if I didn't make that mistake, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. So I don't know if it's a mistake, but it still still stings. Two things. Due diligence, I am much better at my due diligence now than I was in the beginning, especially inspections, and I did not scale quick enough in the beginning. Uh, I had the I'm a mentality, like I was saying earlier. So once you get it down, uh, start scaling as soon as possible. Your life will be uh, a lot better. What's a due diligence tip that you practice now that you didn't practice before? Just being very thorough and getting the correct team members in place. And when you get those guys, hold on to them because I didn't necessarily vet some of uh, the inspectors in the beginning enough and they did some half jobs. Mm -hmm. And uh, so just making sure that, you know, when someone's only giving you about 80 percent, you're not getting 100 percent out of those folks, just getting rid of them and not use them anymore. So. The other thing with the uh, due diligence is, is extensions. We you need we didn't almost lost the deal because we didn't have extensions on our due diligence. When you get the numbers, that's when your due diligence is start. Not like this drip grab. Okay, you have all the numbers. Now the clock starts. That that we almost lost a deal because of that. So that's really important. And that's something you want to put in the contract, right? Definitely, totally. With the due diligence, really quickly, what are who are the team members that you need to have in place? So you need a really good inspector. You may, depending on the, the construction of the building, you may need a, you know, say you get a stucco, something you need a stucco guy. You're going to need, uh, if you have septic tanks, you may need someone on board that can come and look at a septic for you. Uh, you may need someone that, uh, a survey guy. You're going to, but also, you know, going back, even during the due diligence period, you want to have all these folks in place. So you can just push a button, call them up, and they know what the deal is. You got to have a great title company. You got to have a great banker. All these things come into play. I mean, the, the list can go on and on. Gino, do you have anything to add there? I would definitely say I, I like the broker. I mean, if not, good attorney. Call, yeah, and call call a property management company up in the area if you're not using one. Pick their brain, see what they think values are, um, and then you can just bounce back with your partner and talk about that. And what's the best ever place for the best ever listeners to reach you? JakeandGino.com. 
Well, this has been just a, a wonderful conversation learning how you two have scaled your company from well, zero to, uh, to controlling uh, and owning $25 million worth of multifamily properties. Some of the learnings, I mean, I, I wrote down a whole lot during our conversation, but some of them being that with the 281 units, having that conversation and with the owner and uh, having a motivated owner who was or seller who's looking to get out of the deal and um, go do, you know, go retire in, in the sunset. And, and really, I think being local too helped, I suspect, since it was a uh, kind of a, a drive-by that you had Definitely. when you first were introduced to the property. So I think there's something to be said there for being in the market. And then the three steps to repositioning, I really love that. You know, Dave Lindahl talks about micro repositioning and this is uh, you know, repositioning property, basically turning it around. Step one that you do is you fill the vacant units with market rent. Step two, implement a rub program for water. And you said you get about $35 a month from that. And then number three, over the course of the year, raise rents to the market rate. Uh, and then also the due diligence that you're talking about, the importance of it, as well as knowing the market that Gino was mentioning and when you buy a property and really it's uh, you've got an advantage with Jake living in the market that that you're in versus uh, investing kind of all over and and not knowing it as well. Um, And then, you know, just in general, how you've scaled your company from, you know, 25 unit to, you know, as large as 281 units and um, having having the teams and the in-house management in place. So a really inspiring story and um, appreciate you two being on the show and, and sharing your advice with best ever listeners. And is there anything else you want to mention before we sign off? Yeah, sure, Joe. I just wanted to mention to your listeners that we're giving away 200 free products. We created this product in Udemy. I'm going to give you the link after the call. The password or the coupon code is JoeFairless1 with the number one at the end. Uh, it's a great program we just created. It's a credibility toolkit we call it. Basically, you're gonna be able to set up a business plan with this program. It's gonna be awesome. You have your business plan set up. You're gonna have case studies in there. You're gonna go through it. Once it's all done, just give it to a banker, give it to an investor, because I know you like to raise money. So every time you're trying to raise money, you need to show what you own and how you do it. And you need to have that business plan. So I think this is gonna really serve your listeners really well. It's helped awesome. out. It's helped out tremendously getting, you know, financing. And uh, I've had bankers, you know, sit there at the table with me and say, "Okay, we've looked at the property, great, but, uh, you know." And then they try to ask the gotcha question. Well, that's when I've literally pulled the the credibility book out, slapped it on the table, slid it across to him, and said, "You know, go to page six. It's right there." So it's it's tremendous with partners and banks for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for for giving that away. And best ever listeners, you can go to the show notes page of this episode and you can click through there. Uh, I'll have the link and then um, I'll also have the code in case you weren't able to write it down. So thanks so much for being on the show and hope you have the best ever week. Thanks, thanks Joe. Joe. I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline 
but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, a, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. Familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Best ever listeners, join me in subscribing to the Family Office podcast the host, Richard Wilson, you can learn more about him, episode 447. The reason why you'll want to subscribe and listen to this podcast is he talks about how billionaire families think and how to attract the ultra-wealthy into your business. The Family Office Podcast.